Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on this week's show, um, it's just myself this week. We're interviewing Kieran Maguire from the Football Finance Podcast. This guy, anything you want to know about finance and regulating the football, this guy knows. He gets up in the morning and breakfast is a spreadsheet. We're going to delve into more of the 90s stuff with Kieran. We've had a few people ask a few questions, so we'll go through them as well. Kieran, first of all, thank you for coming on. And, and how are you? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Grand Paul. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm suffering from a nosebleed with... Uh... My side, Brighton, currently fourth in the Premier League. It, it, it won't last, but we, we'll snigger away and pinch ourselves whilst it does last. And uh, yeah, life is good. Life is good. Good. So as I said, we're based on 90s podcasts and football finance in the 90s to the noughties and to, and to now, it's drastically changed. It's a huge evolving ship that I've put down and I think most people would put down between the Sky deal coming in in 92, which really was the biggest single change in football across the world, I think, really, because it put a platform for football to be seen, not just in England, but progress to be a worldwide sport now. What could you tell us about the Sky deal in 92 in terms of the impact you, you think it's had in, in that period? Well, if, if we go back to the, the very first season of Sky, um, the, the total money uh, generated by the Premier League from, from the TV deal, and it was deemed to be a big deal at the time, was 51 million quid and it was far less than uh, you were getting from your commercial sponsors it was also far less than you were taking through the turnstiles so so the, the fan who was turning up you know program flat cap burger a couple of pints fat fan was king you know the, the the guy on the terraces was really important um so that very first season uh 51 million pounds from the tv deal um uh, the most recent season, three million and twenty-eight. Sorry, three billion and twenty-eight thousand. So an increase of five thousand eight hundred percent. Now, I, you know, I, I don't know what what your pay rises have been like over the last thirty <laughs> years, Paul. But uh, certainly mine's not been five thousand eight hundred and eight percent. And it's just, um, it, it's been an incredibly successful business. And, and I think you sort of, you, you caught it at the, at the start when you say, well, um, has, it, has it ceased to be a sport? Is it now a business? Well, th- there is certainly far more business implications. So, so the money has, uh, the money has, has gone through the roof um, on, on the back of the success of Sky, which um, you know, I know some people don't like Sky, but it's it, it's a very professional organisation. It's a very slick product, but also on the back of what what the Premier League did with uh, with the overseas broadcasting rights, and, and and you've got to give them some credit here. They went to uh, yeah, they went to Nigeria, they went to Thailand, they went to Malaysia, they they went to to, 
to uh, Australia and so on and said, we're the Premier League. Um, would you like our product for nothing? And people said, well, you're giving us free free football to, to occupy. Yeah, and, and people looking to, to, to fill fill the hours. So, so um, they uh, they put it on and the, the overseas audiences loved it. First of all, it was really exciting. You know, in the, the Premier League at the start, it, it was, if you compare the Premier League 30 years ago today, it was a lot faster. It was a lot more end-to-end. It was far, far less tactical. It was two sets of 11 blokes just trying to out-football each other using, effectively, park football tactics. Um, so it, it, was, it was really exciting. And then three years later, when the Premier League went back to these overseas broadcasters and they said that our our viewers absolutely love it you know that they, they it's it's more important to them than the movies it's more important to them than the the big tv series it's more important than even some of the local sport the premier league says oh is, is that the case in which case we're not going to give it away this time we want you to pay a little bit more and the broadcasters by that stage they'd realized that it, it was sort of it's the equivalent of it's the crack cocaine yeah of um, of of broadcasting because people will not cut the cord if they end up losing access to the football. So on the back of that, it has grown and grown and grown. The uh, the overseas broadcasting rights to say at the start of it were worth nothing, and now they're, they're practically fifty percent of the money that comes in. And you know the Premier League's just renegotiated a deal with Scandinavia. You're a United fan. I work in Liverpool. If uh, you know, if, if Liverpool are playing at home on a Saturday, you can't get a hotel. Mm. Uh, you know, in this city, it's the same when when United at home because it's it's full of Scandi fans and you've got Irish fans coming across and so on. And football has become a big tourist industry. It's become a big broadcasting industry, and people like their products plastered all over the front of the shirt. So you put all that together, uh, incredible success. And I think it's something we should be really proud of. And I mean, and you don't get that sense of it. You know, it's all, all money's ruined football. Well, it's, you know, you're seeing the best players in the world. It's not, it's not ruining it that much. I, I agree. I think it's really interesting that you've ended that, that part on that in terms of the money's ruined football. I think, again, I think the money has ruined the feeling of football is that the entitlement that a fan has as if, you know, the days of it being finishing work at 2.45 and getting to your club at three o'clock and having a pie and a beer that, that have gone, but like anything, it's a bit like, and we've used it on the podcast a few times, everything's better in your eyes between 10 and 18 to 21, because that's your peak era and you've got no responsibilities. You've got no kids, hopefully, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got no real bills to worry about and everything's so much nicer and everything is cheaper and everything's easier and more accessible. If you think about the positive impact of that, that football was, money has had, it's allowed it to be, and you know, the, the, the word armchair fan gets you, I'm a Man United fan. I go to the ground as much as I can. Um, I normally go to Tottenham quite a bit. If at Brighton, I go and see him at Brighton at Fulham. I used to go and I used to work there. So I see him as much as I can, but the armchair fan now is an insult to people because if you live in Malaysia, you can't get to Old Trafford, but they can watch every three o'clock game kickoff they want. So that fan could be sitting in Malaysia and watching the free, every 50 Man United games a season. Is he any less of a fan than me or someone that goes weekly? I don't think they are anymore. I don't think it's, I, I, I think that what money is allowed is it to be a worldwide sport that is free, not free, but accessible to everyone. And I think that, that well, that moved me on to my next point then, commercial revenue in the 90s. BBC had a documentary fever pitch, very United heavy, very light on everything else. Um, it had quite a mixed response. I thought it was, the production was lovely, um, but I suppose if you was a Brighton fan or a Crystal Palace fan or a Southampton fan, it wasn't featuring your clubs, but people weren't tuning in for that. They were tuning in to watch the elite at that time. Manion, on our podcast, I use you know football finance quite a lot in terms of commercial revenue. And a lot of people say that Man United bought the league over the, first, the 90s period. Would you agree they bought the league or would you more say that they, they created their own wealth to, to be able to purchase the best players? Well, I, I, I did an analysis um, because I had half an hour of free time and I had a spreadsheet in front of me and I had to do something um, where I compared wages to uh, final position in the table. 
And it's got to be said, there's a very, very strong correlation. Now, you, now you've, got, you've got to be very careful about causality and correlation, because it could be that Manchester United winning the Premier League allowed them to pay the highest wages. And also then winning matches on a regular basis meant that they had to be paying higher, uh, higher bonuses to players. Um, but certainly they, they had a financial advantage, um, although if you go through from uh, the very first season of the Premier League until I think it was the I think it was 1999 or 2000, um, it, it was uh, Blackburn who paid the highest wages for the first few years um, and then Liverpool and, and United were I think they were second or third. So um, it, it was it, it wasn't bought. But it, it certainly helps. You, you, you cannot win uh, the, the elite competition unless you are paying wages of, of players because it's, it's a talent industry. Mm. So, um, you know, there's, there's the one exception of Leicester City, which was in many, many respects a perfect storm because it was the, it was the final year of a TV deal. Um, they, they had bought extremely well, were... Uh, sort of licking their winter expenditure. They were under uh, constraints from UEFA. United were going through a transition phase um, and so on. So you, you, you add all of those things together and it's not taking anything away. Leicester City winning the Premier League, absolutely fantastic. And, and anybody who uh, is bitter about it, um, I've, I've got no sympathy for them. They're not a football fan in my eyes. Um, yeah, it's nice that there's a little bit of romance still in the game. But, uh, but Manchester United certainly had a very competitive uh, wage bill. They also had, had the benefit of you know, four or five players who'd come through the youth team. Um, and, and that's never happened. You know, some, some, you know, I, I said to you there was sort of this, uh, Leicester were, right, were in the right place at the right time. Well, as were Manchester United, it just so happened that you know, the, the Neville's gigs, Bud, uh, Beckham and, and co, you know, they, they all peaked at the same time. Um, that is very rare, and, and United reap the benefits of that. So um, they, uh, they 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 certainly were not uh, put at a disadvantage through their financial position, but, but buying it not quite. Um, I think I think in in later years, you know, probably sort of in this in the second era of Ferguson, you, you you could argue that they were able to buy players and they were able to outbid the rest of the market. And then Abramovich arrived, and then Mansour arrived, and, and and you've seen since then just how much tougher it's become. That's what happens when you've got a wife that can't go anywhere near. Well, the exactly. Yeah, no, you, you, <laughs> you look after little ones, mate. So. Um, yeah, I mean that's you're you're spot on. I think it's it'd be great because David Holland, who's one of the members, who's an Arsenal fan, he keeps throwing this whole. You know, I just bought the league, and I've said it's it's you can't United created their own wealth. Jack Walker at Blackburn had a personal wealth that threw, threw money into it, which is, no, again, everyone's yeah, wrong there. you know, talk about the um, money in football, ruining football, but it's interesting that Blackburn, even on the Fever Pitch documentary, no one speaks about how they changed football because really it was Jack Walker's millions of the first real investment, uh, someone coming in, a, a, a boy done good, throwing money to win a league. But that doesn't get mentioned when you talk about football money. Now you say Roman Abramovich in Chelsea. Are they? This was going on prior to that. You know, in in Italy in the night, I think 1992, there was a transfer. Um, I can't remember the player's name now, but it went for 13 million pounds. Um, and that doesn't get mentioned in 92. You know, I think people just again they they, they block the things out and they just they're so romance with what football was, but they miss and choose parts what they don't really want to remember of, of changing the football. Jack Walker's millions, you know, we, we've spoken about that on here quite a bit and the legacy that he left. What was the, because that was the first real change in football of, of money being spent. What do you make of the way that that went round with no real commercial revenue coming in? It was all him personally putting money in and the situation now is obviously quite a little bit better than it was the last seven, eight years, but not ideal. You know, the first time they come in, how what do you remember about that? Well, it was the first, uh, I think, realisation that a football club could be a trophy asset, which would give you a kudos, which literally nothing else in the country could buy. Because at the time, remember, that there were 22 clubs in the Premier League when it started. 
but that quickly dropped to 20. And at, I think people realized at any one point in time, you could, there's, there are many, many multimillionaires. There are many, many billionaires. But there's only 20 owners of the Premier League, which is going out to hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions of viewers every single week. And um, it, it gave you that attention, which money can buy. And that's what Abramovich realized. If, 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 you know, if we were to have an episode of Pointless and name, you know, na- name, uh, name 100 uh, oligarchs, well, we, Abramovich isn't going to get you uh, zero points, is it? You know, he's going to be at the other end of the scale. Um, so I, th- I think people began to, to, to realise that football, football's influence, or rather the Premier League's influence, was not just local, but it was global. So we had the, you know, with the Thai Prime Minister, President, whatever it was, owning Manchester City until he was uh, persuaded by his country that perhaps he needed to be focusing on one or two other things. Um, we had the, the legendary Carson Young, at, at Birmingham City, they they were in the Premier League. He, he was a hairdresser involved in money laundering. Yeah, it's it's fantastic stuff, and it all adds to uh, the glamour. Um, yeah, e- even people like uh, Tony G at, at Aston Villa, who used to fly across with Hong Kong from Hong Kong with a suitcase stuffed full of money to pay the wages, and it, this type of stuff, it's. If, if you wrote it as a novel, if you, if you wrote it as a, a as a you know as a pitch for a TV program, they you know even Ted Lasso they'd say no 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 too far fetched. <laughs> so um, certainly Jack Walker I think was the start of this, and it, and it it made people realise that you you could a get attention um, and b um, you could reach. This, this 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 mythical promised land. Okay, having got you know having I've caught Brighton for people that don't know. You know, I've I've seen this in in League Two, in League One, the Championship, and the Premier League. And the day we got promoted to the Premier League, is it a day I will remember for the rest of my life? Yeah, absolutely. Not denying that whatsoever. But you know, after the first season, and and if you talk to Stoke fans, or if you talk to Palace fans, or you know others who are sort, and I think we're, we're Brighton are almost reaching that phase now, sort of being a quasi-hardy perennials, what exactly do you have to look forward to as being part of this promised land? Um, f- football's far more exciting in the championship because you can have a really crap Saturday and you've always got Tuesday. So you, you've got far less time, to, far less recovery time, far less time to dwell on just how desperately bad you were the previous weekend. That's really good, actually, because our, our episode last week was the championship and we spoke about the championship. And the question that I, one of the questions I said uh, it was the European Super League and all the other stuff, the closed leagues and all this other stuff. I said, what I, as a United fan, it is difficult because my perspective is very different. I said, but surely, uh, you know, if you're winning games week in, week out in the, in the championship and you can have, go on an FA Cup run or win an FA Cup or a League Cup, surely that would be better than just going into the Premier League to, to play a Liverpool, Man United or a Chelsea. Because it seems to be the aim is to get in the Premier League because the money, which I get. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the aspiration is... Yeah, but you get to play against all these big teams. But winning doesn't, you know, you look at West Brom and Watford and up and down, up and down, up and down. You almost think, well, it must be better if you're winning. You know, Newcastle's a great example. They don't, they've been so poor for four, five, six years. And we'll come on to them later. But in the championship, there was a feel-good factor. They felt like a big club again in the championship. Then they come in the Premier League and it's just dull, you know, and it's boring. And it's like, well... What do you want? I, d- I don't understand. I think that, that again, the money in football. This is this is where I think it's the biggest impact. It's the co- it's it's taking away the, the 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 winning, wanting to win a, a, a trophy. If you look at NFL and plays like that, you know, when it's just one simple competition, the Super Bowl. Everyone's aim is the Super Bowl, yep. and everyone has a chance to, to a degree. When you look in the Premier League now and the Championship, which is even I think getting worse, the League Cup and the FA Cup is won by the same teams generally every season. But how many teams now put out a second team because their aim is to get into the Premier League because the money is far superior and the FA Cup and League Cup are weakened by these things. I mean, you spoke on your podcast about, about the, the financial implications of being in the League Cup and the FA Cup compared to being in the Premier League. But as a Brighton fan, you, you sound like you're saying that you would rather be in the Championship win or even win a trophy in the FA Cup than be in the Premier League. Would, would you agree with that? So, 
to a certain extent, having you know, having been to Anfield, having been to Old Trafford, having been to Stamford Bridge, um, you know, go, going away from the Etihad with your regulation three or four nil pasting. And, and it's actually you know, when you're going to matches where you say anything less than three nil is good is is half a point <laughs> from a goal difference point of view at the end of the season. And you know, I, I, I've got friends who support Burnley and Palace and so on, and and that's become our mentality and, and, and there's a lot of talk about um that uh, parachute payments have distorted the the championship the big distortion is is the premier league itself it's really depressing after four matches of this season the four clubs who were in the champions league last last year and this year are occupying the top four spaces and, and we we as fans and, and the media have, have don't see anything wrong with that. It's actually pretty pretty. We we know that we're glorified cannon fodder. Um, mm. Being being in the championship and, and seeing us get promoted that, that season, well, I suspect it will be. Yeah, so I, I don't think we will top it uh, in terms of uh, anything we've done this century, because we played fantastic football. We we were winning. Um, and also, it's nice to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Yeah. And if you think about what Jurgen Klopp has been saying with regards to Newcastle, um, you know, Liverpool have had a financial advantage over most clubs in the Premier League throughout their existence. And yeah. that's on the basis of uh, it is a fantastic brand. Uh, the legacy from their achievements under Shankly and Paisley has has carried through it's given them uh, a generation of fans not just domestic you know i i live in liverpool sorry i work in liverpool um and yeah, as i was saying to you earlier uh, huge overseas fan base huge uk fan base not based on merseyside itself um and uh he's going oh yo this this is this is unreal well you've you've been top dog for, for plenty of years now somebody else is coming along that's how we feel yeah. We, we we get we get fed up about uh, you know Arsenal fans and Manchester United fans and Liverpool fans moaning that they've only spent a hundred million pounds in a transfer window, as if it's if it, as if it's theirs by right. Um, and and what we are seeing is is as sort of the, the tectonic plates of football are shifting slightly. We've got Real Madrid who have won the Champions League how many times the last decade? Four is it? Five, I think yeah, four or five. five. Five times in the last decade. You've got uh, Florentino Perez whining about PSG and Manchester City, who between them have won the Champions League zero times, and he's trying to make himself out to be a victim. I can assure you when Man when uh, Real Madrid were, were recruiting the Galacticos, it was because they had more money, and now somebody else has got more money, they start whining about it. So, so it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a funny, funny world. Um, and, and football fans, I regret to say, sort of buy into that as well. Uh, so they, they feel that they are being uh, marginalised by somebody else being more successful than them. But well, there's, there's always going to be somebody more successful than you. And it's that's going to change from time to time. You know, now, now that Newcastle have more money than Manchester City, does that mean they're going to win the Premier League in due course? Well, it's, yeah, the chances are they will. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, because my take on it, with I mean, obviously with 90s, we'll... we'll, we'll we can't not talk about Newcastle, we're talking about finances at the appropriate time. I think it's going to be a bit of a disaster, personally. No one agrees with me. But I said, you've got three people running on the board members. You've got the, uh, Amanda Staveley, you've got the Saudi Arabia Fund Group, and you've got the uh, new, I can't remember the name of the brothers. Um, Ruben Brothers. Ruben Brothers. Yeah. So they're a very dynamic group of people trying to run a club, and it's very quick to change things, to have a disagreement, to have a fallen out. You look at Arsenal with Cronkier and um, their situation there and at, at QPR when they were zoned under Brevatorio and uh, Eccleston. Yeah. You think it's going to... Because they just think that they're going to come in and every player they're going to buy and it's going to be a great success story. I'm sure it'd be better than under Ashley. But do you think it's a given that they're going to be a massive success with that ballroom? Um, In the short term, no. Hmm. I mean, in the, in the long term... What money does is it allows you to make more mistakes. So, you know, if, 
if if my type if my side go and sign a player for you know, for twenty five million, or if, if you think about Newcastle under Mike Ashley, they signed Joe Linton, and he was he's he's been a disaster. Yeah. And, and 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 anybody looking at his metrics would think, why on earth have you spent forty million on him? Mad, absolutely mad. Now, what they will be able to do under Staveley and the Ruben brothers and PIF is that if they sign another Joe Linton for forty million and he doesn't work out. They can then just say, oh, you know, tough. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. We'll do it until financial fair play comes to bite them on the bum. And, mm. and, and that's something which didn't exist. So they are going to find it tougher because the big danger for Newcastle is they end up doing what Manchester City did. Um, if you think about City signed as their strikers, they signed Joe, they signed Rubinho, they signed Rocky Santa Cruz, they signed Wilfred Boney. Yeah, all of these players for big, big sums and largely they stank the place out, but they they weren't in a hurry to move on because City were paying them so much wages that if you're a a mediocre player who gets signed by City, gets paid a wage, which is nobody else is going to go near, you're not not going to walk away from that contract. So So the danger for Newcastle is that if they make the same mistakes as Abramovich did um, and Mansour did, when they first arrived um, and they could afford they could afford to make mistakes Newcastle can do that for a year or two and then financial fair play will come to get you as we've seen that with Everton you know Everton have spent half a billion pounds on players since uh, Farhad Mashiri with I believe a little bit of friend, uh, help from Mr Usmanoff although that's never confirmed of course um <laughs> You know, and and now who are they signing? They're signing Townsend and Demira Gray and, and so on. They, they've signed actually really good players who've, who've who've done fantastically well. But if you talk to the fans, it's you know why why are we spending three million pounds in this transfer window? We you don't have a choice because you you've you've created this situation whereby you went from being a, a club which was being run on an even keel to one which was making huge losses, and then financial fair play comes to bite you on the bum. With FFP, I'm very mixed on it because it seems to be the bigger clubs anyway can, you know, the man season that can still progress with FFP or not. Obviously, it's in a, a tighter restrictions. Do you think to make, because it was, it was originally brought in to make an even playing field was the, the point of it. Was it not? No, no. If, 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 you, if you take a look, if you, if, in fact, if you read the documentation from UEFA itself, it explicitly says that that is not the intention of financial fair play. Um, when it was first introduced, uh, if you take a look at Platini's comments, it was to it was to reduce the amount of debt in European football. And then somebody pointed out to him that you've got Manchester City and PSG, both are, are run by Middle Eastern organisations who who use whose sort of you know, culture is linked to Islamic finance. Now, under Islamic finance, you know, paying interest and loans isn't, isn't, isn't really uh, part of the culture. So they, they had no debts. Yeah. So all of a problem, we've got, we've got you know, Manchester United under the Glazers, they, they owe the bank £600 million. Should the focus be on them? And of course, David Gill goes, well, perhaps we need to go and rethink what we mean. By financial fair play, surely it should be about profitability. So, so it was changed initially from trying to reduce debts to trying to make the game um, more on an even keel from a profitability perspective. But profits is revenue less costs. This allows certain clubs to uh, generate revenues, which might raise an eyebrow or two in terms of what you might think the market rates are, what you might think the popularity of the football club as a brand is in, in certain jurisdictions and so on. But if you've got a good lawyer behind you, you'll you'll manage to persuade most most courts that that's, that's perfectly acceptable. Would you... I'm not sure I'll get this right. Would you like to see FFP scrapped? Um, yes, yeah, so, so, certainly rethought. And, and what we appear to be going for, and remember now... The, the head of the European Club Association, who used to be Agnelli, remember Agnelli resigned from being the head of uh, the ECA um, on the same day that uh, the, the, the Franchise League 
was announced. I, I, I hate calling it Super League. I, I don't see anything super about <laughs> a, a competition which involves three countries yeah. um, and 12 clubs from six cities. You know, what, what's so super about that? Seems to be it's just a franchise. Um, but uh, and and Yelly resigned, and, and now we have uh, the PSG um, head uh, in, in charge of the ECA, who also happens to be the head of uh, uh, Bayern Sports, mm-hmm. uh, the the Qatari broadcaster, and uh, the, the the new form of financial fair play um, looks as if it's going to be spend as much money as you want, but if you spend more than a certain amount you've got to go and pay a tax, effectively a luxury tax. Right. Um, and that's going to be based on wages. So the, I think the way it's going to be is that you can only spend 70% of your income on wages. So if you've got a wage bill of 100, or if you've got income of 100, you can pay up to 70 in wages. And for every euro or dollar you pay above that, you pay a tax. Now, how big that tax is going to be, we don't know. It could be 100% tax. But that would still allow you to say, well, if I'm going to go and spend an extra 50 million on wages, I'm I'm the Saudi Arabian investment fund. We don't mind, you know, we don't mind lobbying an extra 50 million to uh, UEFA as a tax. You know, it's peanuts to us. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll put two pence on the price of unleaded and and we'll more than recover that. Um, So it's, 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 it's no, no downside from our point of view. So, and, and, that that will certainly benefit the uh, the clubs which are backed by either ultra high net worth individuals or uh, sovereign wealth funds because that they can afford to do that. So if those rules do go ahead, uh, I, I can see uh, you know Perez and uh, whoever succeeds uh, Ed Woodward. I think is it, is it Richard Arnold is the yeah, yeah the the rugby fan at yeah. uh, Manchester United. Um, yeah, I think he is the favourite. Um, so, you know, you can see them being unhappy to a degree, but, you know, you, how do you feel, I would say, as a Manchester United fan, when your, uh, your, your chief executive says, we do not need to win football matches to be a commercial success, and then your manager comes out and says, trophies are for egos and vanity. Well, you, you haven't won anything. Yeah, yeah. So. when you've got comments like that and, and United will say it because it's more of a headline and, and it will grab saying things like that just show you what, what we are, we're living in now and what the commercial side of things are Man United don't need to win football games no can, commercially not but that will peak and level out at one stage the Glazers will end up being bought out for a certain amount in 10-12 years time they won't be there forever um, and it will probably be to a Saudi wealth fund that come in and, and do it for anyway and, and, and think is glorious again I don't think for me FFP I think it's the original idea that I thought it had and you've obviously corrected me on that was to try and make it so everyone spent within their means is what the idea but surely that all, all that served to do is meant the biggest clubs can can get fatter and the smaller clubs can never have a wealthy individual come in and take over and, and push the elite which I don't like I would rather just say well no if you want to spend it's like any business you, you can't put a limit on how much Apple can spend and Netflix on production amazon so maybe we don't do that in form we said well if you want to go and buy a sunderland for 15 million pounds and you want to put in a billion pounds to it then go and do it because i just think now it's it's as you said the top four clubs are the top four clubs newcastle are disrupting that and good because we need someone to disrupt it you know stoke have got one on the wealthiest owners in the country in terms of not state-run backed you know but they they don't spend as much as they could do because they use financial fair play as an excuse with the United situation, I get a lot of people with the Glazers out, and I, I understand that the, the, it's our club and like the custodians. I really understand that. But I think you've got to detach from it and be like, look, you know, they take out millions and millions of pounds every year in dividends and there's a massive debt. But they have to do one thing and the commercial rights to the stadium to clear their debt, or they can sell shares to clear their debt. The debt is only a debt on paper. It, re- it realistically, it's not a debt that it can't be serviced very overnight. You could go and sell the name and rights to Old Trafford for whatever the debt is in one lump sum and, and say, we're debt-free now. So the Glazers spend more money than most clubs. So I haven't got a problem with that side of it. Uh, is Old Trafford run down? Yes. Is it an old stadium? Yes. Can you rebuild it? Not for a billion pounds less. They're not going to spend a billion pounds on the stadium, realistically. You know, 
coming out and saying things that they said like that and and, and Solskjaer saying we don't need to win trophies is, is an ab- abomination. You shouldn't be saying that at any level at any club. You know, your aim is to win football games, to win trophies. Otherwise, what are you doing? Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I could go off on, on that all day. So I'm going to move back to the 90s. Um, so the impact of the Bosman ruling, that was probably, you had the Premier League coming in 92 uh, and, and Sky. Then the Bosman ruling around 96 really changed football. What was the real implications on a financial side of things? What changed with the Bosman ruling? Um, well, the, the, the Bosman ruling let the genie out of the bottle. Um, and, and, you know, people will be bored by like, quoting stats. But if, if we take a look at uh, 1995, for every, uh, for every £100 a football club generated, £43 went on wages. Now, within five years, that 43 had gone up to 59. So, you know, wages, wages were rising and rising. The, the, the average wage in uh, 1995 before Bosman, £3,300. By the time we got to 1999, and United fans would say, well, yeah, we won the treble in that year. We don't, frankly, we don't mind them being paid. It gone up to 8600 So, you know, wages had trebled, almost trebled over a course of five years. Um, and, and that was because clubs realised that um, they, they, they couldn't control players to the same extent. And there, there was a degree of freedom um, in terms of the players. So there was a lot more money coming into the game. Um, but, uh, you know, people will be or may be familiar with Sir Alan Sugar's uh, well-known phrase, um, you know, about the prune juice effect, that the more that comes in, it just goes straight through the system and comes out the other end in the form of, of wages and, and agents fees. So, um, and, and that certainly is the case. And it, and it does seem very strange that despite, um, again, you know, people get bored of these stats, the, the income in the Premier League has gone up by... Um, 2,413%, you know, since the start. A phenomenal achievement, but wages have gone up by 2,800. So, wage, you know, income has, has not managed to, to keep pace with wage rises because players, their representatives, um, and, and also that the pressure that fans put on clubs themselves, you know, if... if if you are not spending money, you are deemed to be lacking ambition. Um, if, if you look at the relationship between Mike Ashley and uh, Newcastle fans, it's a toxic relationship. Why is that? Because you won't spend money. You know, mm-hmm. and you 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 run you run your own business, Paul. You, you were telling me earlier, yeah, you know, and did your to your staff, your customers come up to you and say, why, why aren't you spending more money? <laughs> it's I, I don't know any other business where overspending is seen to be a virtue um because uh again i've 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 been asked by an organization today to um to explain how much more money clubs could spend uh in order to hit the ffp limit and i'm going well okay I'll, i'll do the calculations for you but let me put it to you like this if I go and get a credit card and let's say it gives me a £20,000 limit, if my wife goes off and spends, and I'm, this, I'm not trying to be misogynist or sexist here, yeah, if my wife goes 20 grand, heads off to John Lewis, comes back and she spent £20,000 on a, on a credit card, she says, I've got right to the limit. Well, that's, that's not an achievement, is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go high five, Mrs M. <laughs> yeah, um, because it's bizarre, it, isn't it? It's just so bizarre. It is. But again, it goes back to in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, you didn't see clubs. <laughs> it was a football club, whereas now it's a business, but people still don't, don't relate to it as a business. They relate to it yeah. as no just spend money. And, and owners do it because, it, as you said, with Jack Walker, it was a prestige thing to own a football club. You know, I think you said uh, prior to the show about Simon Jordan being a friend of yours. And, you know, I think his famous quote was, how do you make... Uh, money in football you have a, a big wealth and you come out of it with a small wealth or something along yeah. them lines and but you he wouldn't do that or, or most people wouldn't do that at any other business you don't run a business at a loss constantly just to keep your customers happy 
because it's not viable. It, 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 it is. It's absolutely nuts. And also, I, I think there there has been a change in terms of the mentality of football fans. Um, yes, for, my football club gives me an identity in in the way that nothing else does. You know, if, if if I'm if I'm at a wedding or something on a Saturday afternoon, I've been dragged there, and I'm sitting there and I go, "Well, yeah, I'm first of all, I'm a bloke, so I'm not good at talking. Yeah, I'm not good at that, yeah, asking asking me questions or on subjects. I'm fine. Spontaneous, spontaneous conversation. I've got a problem. Um, so I'm looking around and, and I see another miserable looking bloke, and I say, "You're a football fan, mate." And he goes, "Yeah, I'm supporting Stoke. Who are you playing today?" And then we look at each other. I think. Christ, you know, for the next two hours we can talk football, and it and it is that, and it, and it does give you that identity. And what you find, it doesn't matter who you support. When when you actually talk bloke to bloke, or you know, bloke to a, bloke to a woman, or or anybody, you find that you might not like their football team. Um, you know, I, I I hate Crystal Palace. You you hate Liverpool. But if, if you're, you know, if you're at a pub and you, you're sitting about, and and this guy starts talking about them, and all what you've suddenly you find. Actually, there's bits about his club that he likes and dislikes, and there's bits about your club that you like and dislike, and there's bits about your club that he secretly respects and confesses to doing so, and vice versa. And it is this wonderful thing. At the same time, there is a sense, and I don't know whether this has been driven by social media or by the, the, the traditional media, and I'm not having a criticism here, of people expecting some form of validation through spending money. Mm. So if my club goes out and spends £150 million in the transfer window, that reflects on me in terms of my self-esteem as a human being. And you know, what, what I found sort of yeah, about 12 months ago, it, yeah, when we were under that under lockdown and the prospect of a, of a Premier League um, taking place with no matches over the course of the season, um, I, I do I, I, I pop up on a lot of podcasts. It's not because I'm any good. It's because that there's nobody who I, I, I am I am the football finance nerd. <laughs> because there aren't any other nerds um or, or if there are they've got far more sense you know and, and, they, and they keep themselves you know swiss ramble who is to me you know he's, he's the reason i got involved in football finance kieran o'connor the, the, the swiss ramble people should follow me on twitter if they don't already he yes. is the governor you know what he what he's forgotten he, he's forgotten more than i know he so he, he's my absolute idol you know, he, he doesn't do any of this so it's you know and i do it when the university encourages me to do it and so on um, but what really amazed me that I was going on Manchester United podcasts and I was going on Liverpool podcasts. And the first question or the second question is, why aren't we spending more money? I'm going, you're in the middle of a global health crisis. You've got no idea when it's going to end. And your biggest, you know, one of your biggest sources of revenue, which can be worth up to you know, £110 million a year for Manchester United, that's just flown out the window because you can't attend matches. And you're moaning. That, you, that you're not spending 50 million or 60 million here. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that, that people don't appear to have an understanding of business basics, but they're, they're not looking for that because no. they're, looking for, they're looking for the Hollywood. They're looking for the glamour that they get through association with the football club. And, you know, we, we could have a philosophical discussion. You know, it's, it's this part of... Uh, you know, showbiz culture that, that we've all become reality TV stars. You know, wh why on earth does my wife watch Married at First Sight? Um, or yeah, you know, those other programs. And I go, I say, it's mate, well, yeah, no. And then half my mates say, yeah, I watch it every day. I'm going, I've, I've just become completely detached from modern life. <laughs> and it happens so quickly as well as the problem. Yeah, the spending thing, I always thought, yeah, I as a United fan, you know, we, we get criticized for the. Let's look at Jaden Sancho. We, we were 93 million pounds or whatever they wanted for him. And we said no. And I said, good. I said, we, yeah, can't, yeah. we can't just keep going. That's well, we need players. You've got to put a limit on things. And the money anyone's paying now, it's only going to go one way and it's it's not going to change. I think with, with Paris and Germain and Newcastle, it's all inflation, it all changed. And Jack Walker, as we said in the 90s, started it with the, you know, with with uh, bringing in Shearer and other players that come across the way. Um, so just going on to one of the other questions in terms of uh, some myths that we, we wanted to debunk. Obviously, in the 90s, as you said, the pie in the pint, 
uh, were, were the main breadwinners for a club. That was where their, their fun money came in from. Then shirt sponsorship was obviously, you know, it used to be a local drapers tools when it was just a local independent business or a, a Commodore. Now it's obviously massive sponsorship deals, but shirts, can you explain how clubs do not make the money that people think to pay for people's wages or transfers on shirts, please? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the way that a, um, a, a, a kit manufacturing deal works is that the manufacturer will agree with a club two elements. First of all, they will give you a fixed fee. So in the case of Manchester United, it's £75 million a year unless Manchester United failed to qualify for the Champions League for two consecutive years, in which case Adidas are entitled to a, a 25% reduction in what they pay to Manchester United because Champions League is where it's at. And that's why, that's why United want the Super League. I mean, they didn't have to win football matches to qualify for the Champions League. Ed Woodward, you know, he would absolutely, he loves that idea. Um, you, you, you know, going back to his previous circumstances. So you get... You get a fixed fee and then you get a share of the retail. Now, as far as United are concerned, it's around about seven to eight percent. So if you're selling a shirt for 70 quid, you've got seven to eight percent of that. You know, what we're talking, you know, five, six quid. Man Manchester United sell in a normal year three million pieces of merchandise or rather Adidas do. The vast majority of that money goes straight back to Adidas. Um, if Cristiano Ronaldo comes in, and, and again, let's let's think about it. Um, yes, some people will want his name on the back of the shirt, but a lot of Manchester United fans have already bought the shirts for this season, and they've got Fernandez on the back, or they've got Rashford on the back, or they've got Jones and number four on the back because <laughs> they, they they just want to be. They just want to be radical. Um, and uh, are you going to buy a second shirt? Chances are you're not. So if, if you're a tourist coming in who wants to buy the shirt, yes, you will go and buy Ronaldo 7 on the back. But you were already going into the Manchester United megastore when you arrived. Yeah. And it's, it's not a case of more people going into the megastore because you can't physically do it. Yeah. You, you, you're a United fan. You you see the queues. Well, it, it's exactly the same at Anfield. It's the same at Old Trafford. It's the same. It's the same at Stamford Bridge. They cannot physically get more people into the stores on a Saturday, um, and lots of people say, "Oh, there, there were queues. There was there was two hundred people on on a Friday queuing to get in." Okay, that, okay, that's an extra two hundred shirts. <laughs> two hundred shirts. What we say uh, a fiver a time. Yeah. So that's a th an extra thousand quid. That, that ain't going to pay Ronnie's wages for too long, is it? <laughs> it's it's, so, it's so it, it is it is it is a myth. Um, will it move the dial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they might sell you know, three point two million instead of three million. Uh, will it uh, will it pay for the costs? No. And then you, yeah. And and I, and I see some of the stuff coming out on Twitter from uh, you know, and it'll be sort of. You know, look at the market.com and, and I go and I go, okay, I, I go and look at that company's website. I go and check that company's account who's just come out with Manchester United have got 170 million pounds worth of sales. I go, you've done no research, you're just making up numbers for clickbait purposes. Yeah. So um yeah, I I come across as the the Grinch of football shirt sales because I get phoned up by the newspapers and I say, well, actually. It, it's a load of old cobblers. So the next do, question, do any players do sponsorship pay anything towards a player? So uh, I don't know if, if a player, if, if you look at um, Mbappe, maybe going to Real Madrid for, as an example, would the sponsorship of, of Real Madrid pay towards wages or anything to do with that? Is that a myth as well, or is that something that actually happens within the game? Um, I, I think with sponsorship, it can be slightly different, uh, and. The reason for this, and we've got to be honest here, if you are uh, Manchester United, for example, will have a Japanese official Jap Japanese tractor tire uh, partner, don't they? 
And uh, what what the commercial departments at Old Trafford will do to say, well, it's it's you know we 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 can get one of our players will either in in the pre season Asian tour. um, We this year you've got you've got Fred and you've got Aaron Wambasaka, and they'll both turn up and they'll yeah they'll do the smiley bits. Um, and the deal is worth a million pounds. What United's commercial department, what Real Madrid's commercial department will be able to do with Mbappe? And so I say, well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're quite happy to renew the deal. Um, oh, you want you want Cristiano? Uh, well, it won't. Well, you know, he's he's busy, so he'll want a million quid as well. And uh, you know, for, for for our inconvenience, we'll want an extra two million. So all of a sudden, so you, you can get quite a bit of money back from the commercial partners, but only if you have a player who transcends the sport. So Cristiano Ronaldo has 300 million Instagram followers. Now, he knows and his advisors know that that has value Mm. because he is an influencer. So um, he'll be able to leverage on that. Is he willing for Manchester United to leverage on that as well? Yeah, he was part of the negotiations for his contract. His agent will say, "I'm willing to, uh, you know, I'm willing to sign up. I'm willing to have my photograph alongside five of your senior sponsors, but only if I get X, because we know that you, Manchester United, will be getting Y. So, so um, sponsors can certainly help um, to a far greater extent than the merchandise sales. Brilliant." Um, thank you very much, Kieran. Really, really enjoyable and knowledgeable as, as, as you have. Kieran, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Well, th- thanks very much, Paul. And uh, uh, stay safe and, and all, all the best for your family. You know, peace and love to you and all yours. Thank you so much, Kieran. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.